Welcome to Women's Hot Topics. Ladies, this show is for you. Find clarity, discernment, and discover who you are in Jesus Christ, all while exploring the hot topics of the day. She's an evangelist, founder, and president of Him for Her Ministries, and she's here to tell it like it is. Your host, Shug Burry. What happened if you say what you want to say? Hey friends, if there's one thing I'm glad I'm not, I am super glad that I am not single. And this is why it is a crazy upside down world out there. And I am just getting my husband right where I want him at about 40 years. He is just right. But things happen in life, friends, unexpected things, divorce or sadly, uh, death of a spouse. There is more than 127 million single people, get that, 18 years or older, living in America, according to the United States Census data, and that accounts for nearly 40% of the nation's population. But oddly, many feel like they're the only ones looking for a significant other. I have a widowed friend who called me out of frustration, and he said, Shug, you got to do a show on dating on dating in my years, dating as a widow. And I thought to myself, you know, we need to do a dating show on all ages. And I think that's really important, whether you're in college, whether you're a divorcee, whether you're a widow, it doesn't matter what it is. And so who else do we ask than our past expert in all things love, Dr. John Van Epp. Welcome to our show. Well, Shug, it's great to be here, and um, I'm really happy to talk about this topic. This has been a topic that has been uh, uh, on my heart for, honestly, a good 25 years, but I'm like you. I've been married this summer. It was 44 years, so <laughs> my wife is is probably similar to you, um, saying that she has me where she wants me, And um, but we have a wonderful life together, and two adult daughters, and their families, and they have well-functioning marriages, which we're so blessed by. And um, well, we all God live in the that. same town, which is really amazing, right? Yeah, so, yeah, everybody's together. Get to um, hang out with them still and our grandkids. But that's people people that um, don't realize the value of a lifelong marriage. Um, sometimes you don't know, you know, you don't know how good it is until you get to the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. an uh, they say, right, uh, 2020 vision is when you look back, right? That retrospect is kind of 2020. And I agree. It's hard to have that when you're um, at different stages of life sometimes. But how, how many great. grandchildren do you have? We will have five as soon as the next one is born. So we've Ooh. got uh, right now we have two boys and two girls and uh, we will have three girls um, come probably right around November. So, Oh, you're blessed indeed. You're blessed indeed. Hey, friends, um, we have had uh, Dr. John on in the past, and he wrote an excellent book called How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. So please go back and listen to those episodes, episode number 168 and 169. Um, I really want you to go back to those. And then if you're on YouTube, please follow us on YouTube. Um, that was aired October 16th um, on, in 2021, as well as October 23. 2021. Let me tell you a little bit about John, if I could. 
Uh, John Van Epp is a PhD, president and founder of Love Thinks. Now, friends, if you want to find him, go to lovethinks.com. He is the author of How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, which I still love that title, which blends in-depth research with humorous stories to provide a map for making healthy relationship choices and becoming better together. I love that. I'm, I'm going to tell Blair that, my husband, becoming better together, healthy relationship goals for growing together when life is pulling you apart. His 25 years of clinical experience and extensive research in premarital, marital, and family relations have paved his way for his teach out-of-the-box courses. His books have won awards and have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Time Magazine, Psychology Today, O Magazine, and Cosmopolitan. And he has appeared on the CBS Early Show, Good Morning America, Fox News, Focus in the Family, and hundreds of broadcasts, including friends, Women's Hot Topics with Shugbury. He has been happily married for 40 years and is a proud father, as he had mentioned. Actually, it's 44 years, a proud father of two daughters. And we've had his daughter on with us, Dr. Morgan Cutliff. And so friends, if you want to find them, please go to lovethinks.org. Can you tell us, Dr. John, a little bit about what they might find on your website? Yeah, so I'll, I'll add to that. Um, we actually have three websites. So I'll tell you all three, um, lovethinks.com, actually not .org, but it's .com, is kind of like the company website. All of our uh, programs, um, the courses that are instructor-led, people can become certified and then teach these courses. So uh, all of them are described. We've had research published. They're evidence-based courses. There's community and Christian versions of the courses. So uh, they get taught in lots and lots of different settings. Um, a lot of government-funded grantees, both uh, in nonprofits, domestic violence, prison reentry programs, uh, social agencies, uh, community marriage initiatives, as well as all branches of the military, they all have been teaching these courses for years with over a million having gone through them. So they're well-established and all of that can be found on lovethinks.com. That's also a store there that you can get both books, uh, Becoming Better Together for Couples, as well as the Avoid Jerks book for, for singles of all ages. So the second uh, website that we have, we really designed for just people at home to get resources right there at home. So it wasn't to get trained to teach a course as much as, hey, what do you have for me right now, here and now? And that's mylovethinks.com. So it's the same love thinks, just with the word my in front of it for personalizing. And we have a blog, we have um, at-home courses, we have target topic, we have um, guides that can be downloaded, purchased. Uh, there's a lot of free resources. There's a whole library there. And then the last website is really because I wanted churches to capture the vision of helping you know families, but particularly singles and married couples with their relationships. Um, and I co-authored a book with, uh, I know that's not going to be our topic, but I co-authored a book just a couple years ago called Endgame, The Church's Strategic Move to Save Faith and Family in America. And we had our own original research that we conducted nationwide, as well as um, bringing together 
really a collection of existing research, packaged it all together to help churches to really know what's happening in both Protestant and Catholic churches in this area of relationship health. Are we really doing what God wants us to be doing there? And we found literally 85% of all churches, get this, Chug, this is amazing. 85% of all churches put $0 into marriage ministry. That means wow. that only 15% are taking any of their money and putting it. In other words, marriage and family ministry is almost always pushed out to the lay people and let them fund it on their own. And it's not a priority of the church budget for the vast majority of churches. However, 75% of pastors say they have a well-functioning marriage program. So <laughs> there is this disconnect between what they think they're doing, where they're putting their money, and really the outcomes. We find that 25 all the way up to 40% of all couples say their marriage is uh, fragile enough to be at risk for divorce. So we really have some great data in the book. And um, I developed kind of put together all of my programs into a church-wide six-week uh, relationship series called the RAM series. And churches can get access to that. There's a, a, a quick four-minute overview of five pastors from around the country that have done this series. And they just go to RAM series, R-A-M, ramseries.com. What is RAM? RAM is a, a model I developed in the 80s when I was doing my doctorate on relationship attachment model to say what exactly are the bonds in a relationship. So it's really the, the cornerstone, the format that I follow in a lot of my courses to help people have a visual kind of interactive, it's an interactive model that is very simple to understand, but gives them a terrific kind of way to, to self-assess their own relationship health, where they are, as well as a common language to talk about. And it's a it's a great model. So the ramseries.com is the third website. Well, I think that's wonderful. The more the merrier. I think that's awesome. And I apologize, uh, lovethinks.com. Mine is .org. So that's why I kind of just got used to that. So I accept my apologies on that one. But you guys definitely need to reach out, need to find out what resources are there. And that was an amazing statistic. Zero. Zero in the budget for marriage ministry. I think that that needs to change for sure. Yeah, um, both my, my myself and my co-author, especially uh, J.P. DeGantz, going national, working. He's he's works with churches. He has a whole organization that contracts with churches to help them build um, marriage and family ministries that are skill based. So helping them to do more than just, you know, a small group study where they just talk, right? <laughs> that's, that's a lot of what we do in church is we sit around in small groups and we talk. But hey, let's let's learn the skills that are going to improve our relationships and move them up a level or two. Let's practice those. So he goes around the country um, with his organization, and it's a quite an extensive organization, Communio, uh, to really help churches not only develop the skill-based programs in their own congregation. But we believe, and we put it in that Endgame book, uh, Shug, one of the best platforms for sharing the gospel with your community is to go out into your community and offer courses that 
will really speak to the pain point of the people that are not attending church. Mm -hmm. I just this morning emailed with a, a Catholic church that's going, taking this content. It's the no jerks content, um, but it's in a, it's in a video series that we developed. It's right there on the ramseries.com website. You can purchase it. They're taking it to a library. They're going to offer it to their community in the library. Why? Because they're built, they're meeting a need, a uh, relationship pain point. They're meeting that need while they are building a relationship with their community, ultimately to tell them about the, the best relationship you can have ever, which is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So yeah. um, that's it's a, a great that's way. A great idea. You know, missionaries for years have spoken to pain points, but they've been, you know, physical housing, poverty, education. If you think about around the world, what is the real pain point in America? And in the West, it's the, the pain point of broken relationships. And we have the resources to not only help the congregation, but the resources to go out of your you know, campus, to go into the community like we've been told, but to offer them these type of rapport building courses that meet needs, but build the rapport to be able to share Jesus with them. Awesome. That's amazing. I think it's a great idea. Um, friends, you can find it again. Um, as he had mentioned, can you name the three websites again? Please? Sure. So uh, lovethinks.com, that's our primary. For you at home, for resources, mylovethinks.com. And for any church-related uh, resources, check it out at ramseries.com. I love it. Thanks. Now, you talked about being in relationships, broken relationships. Um, can I just take a minute and let's talk a little bit about being single and you want to be in a relationship. Um, you know, you talk about maybe uh, questions that you should ask when you first meet someone, et cetera. First of all, where do you think people should meet? Where's the best place to meet someone? Maybe your soulmate. And then how do you begin that process? Wow, that's a, a great question. You know, so many are meeting online. And I know they're called dating sites. They've been around a long time, right? And um, uh, do you remember when eHarmony first came on the, oh, yeah. you know, you had match.com. Even before those uh, online dating sites, do you remember what people were doing? They were putting ads in the newspaper. They had the whole kind of like dating uh, page in newspapers where people were putting a little, you know, description of themselves and trying to match uh with somebody that they don't know, obviously, but they call that, you know, from the very beginning, they've called these dating sites. I, I wish that they would have called them meeting sites because it's not really healthy to date long distance for a long period of time. I know that that may be initially how you get started. You're meeting the person. These meeting sites can be very valuable. Um, you have to kind of be careful which meeting site you get on. You also have to always have a little bit of skepticism because, you know, you're meeting somebody and what they're promoting um, of who they are may not be accurate to who they are. So uh, there is a lot of, uh, you know, uh, what catfishing, right? There's a lot. There's a lot of fraud that can be done if you're not careful. But the point is, is that there is a legitimate number of people that are just trying to meet somebody and see where that could go. And so I think online is great for meeting, but you need to then 
you know, move, kind of progress the relationship to be more face-to-face -face with someone. And you need to be able to, to know how to navigate that kind of a relationship differently than a lot of the trends that are around right now. Unfortunately, I, I think the, the dating world is extremely dysfunctional in a lot of the current trends. Maybe we should just start by identifying what wrong looks like before we try to talk about what right looks like. You know, that's always worked with me as a child. My parents told me what not to do. I think we should start with that. I think we can. Um, uh, if you just indulge me for a minute, I'd like to go to a, a scripture that um, I've heard very few people talk about, especially in this big vacuum of what wrong and right looks like in the whole world of dating, whether you are a, a young person or whether you are single again. So um, I want to go to the scripture, but I'm just going to back up for a minute, Shug, and I'm going to tell you a little bit how I got into this. So I had a counseling practice in Northern Ohio and you know, it's counseling is remedial. You're dealing with people that are paying to come in to fix something that feels broken. And so I did a lot of relationship counseling. I was also uh, an adjunct professor teaching advanced marriage and family assessment. This was a period of time where I was kind of a foot in the academic world and then a foot in this world of pain and broken relationships. And it really, I wanted to go upstream and help people prevent the brokenness that I was seeing in my counseling practice. And I wanted to translate a lot of the academia world that was actually looking at things that I thought would be so helpful for especially singles and singles again in selecting a life partner. There were things in that academic world in terms of research that was published that just stayed on library shelves. And I wanted to bring it off the shelves into real life. And that's really how I got started with what became initially the book title was How to Avoid Marrying a Jerk, because ultimately that was what dating was leading to is life partner selection. It almost feels like no one is getting married is kind of the way that feels uh, today versus before. So, yeah, so that's interesting. I, I'm just going to give a quick kind of flyover to the landscape. So when things really change, um, I think if we want to point to a turning uh, of uh, about marriage and dating, it was really in the 60s going into the 70s. A couple things happened. Um, number one, uh, I would call it um, there there was the the pulling away, uh, this disconnect of sex from marriage. So obviously, you know, people had sex outside of marriage throughout all of history. But in America and in the West, um, it was improper. It was accepted that sex belonged in marriage. And that was challenged really in the 1920s during the roaring 20s, okay? But then we had a resurgence of conservative beliefs and it, it didn't kind of win the public over. So all through the um, 20th century, the 1900s, uh, really up to the 60s, it, if you were gonna engage in sex outside of marriage, it was taboo, even though it happened some. But the vast majority of people 
um, really up to that time, were uh, setting boundaries, practicing some kind of restraint and building a relationship without sex in dating and selecting a life partner and then getting married. Well, um, some things happened. Uh, the first was, uh, I would say that if you imagine marriage as being a ring and held to marriage was both sex as well as life partnership. I mean, that was part of what it was and having children or parenting. Those were all a package deal. Well, there was a decoupling, I call it, where sex moved away. So now sex became a norm in dating. So when you date, you immediately have sex. In fact, if, you're, if your listeners would just do a little search online, an engine search, where they would put in uh, stages of dating, dating stages, you'll find experts all over the world saying you need to have sex Many of them, in fact, I'd be glad to reference some of them, but a number of them say, by the third date, you better have sex. So these are MDs, PhDs. These are, this is the messaging that is going on that now sex is not only to be normative in dating, it's advisable to do it at the front end of dating. That's just sad. What, what's sad about that is we know from biology and brain science, we know it from experience, uh, you've you gotta be just almost foolish to not understand this. The sexual experience is bonding. It, it forms an intense, I mean, that's why it used to be uh, referred to as intimacy. You know, sexual intimacy was synonymous with sex. Um, the point being, in the beginning of a relationship, before you even know the person, before you've been able to figure out their character, their heart, their intentions, whether they are um, well put together or whether they're a sociopath, before you know any of that, you are forming a bond that is going to alter your judgment. Bonds of the heart alter judgments of the mind. So that the mm. way that you try to be a good judge of character is now altered by a bond at the front end of the relationship. This is really, I think, and this is why it's so contrary to biblical advice that um, I want to go to this passage in First Thessalonians, okay? Please do. So this is a really interesting passage. Again, I've presented this many, many times in different presentations, have heard very few, if any, really go into it, but it's just right in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it begins like this. So I'm going to give you two different um, translations because I'm going to show you this one verse that is just intriguing to me. But it says, um, in the New American Standard I'm reading, it goes, um, hey, we brothers and sisters, we've instructed you how to live in order to please God. So it's, it's presenting, here, here's a plan on how you should live. And we're going to ask you, in fact, we're going to urge you in the Lord Jesus to live this way more and more. And then verse three says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And that's a colon. And then it says this, explaining what it means to be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality 
Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like pagans who don't know God. So, okay, this is what I want you to see. Control your own body. If you look closely, has a little, like, you know how in your scriptures they have like a little letter above it. And if you look over maybe as a footnote, basically, or a side note, it tells you there's an alternate interpretation. Like we're not quite sure because literally um, the apostle Paul wrote in the Greek language. And what he said was, you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. And that word vessel is could be your own body, but it could also be a spouse. It is used for both. So another translation says, you know that what we've told you, God wants you to stay holy, stay away from sexual immorality. He wants each of you to learn how to take a wife in a way that is holy and honorable. Don't give in to lust like people who don't know God. Both of them are very legitimate translations. And this is what I would say. God wants us to learn how to manage ourselves and choose a life partner in a way that is different than what the world does. He doesn't want us to follow the pattern of the world. That's what Romans 12 says, right? Be mm -hmm. transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't, don't follow the patterns of the world. Well, Paul's saying the exact same thing, but right here, specifically, your sanctification is all about how you, quote, date and choose a life partner and figure out a, a game plan to do that different than the game plan that is given by the world. And this is where I think we've really kind of dropped the ball as Christians. I don't think we have submitted to the, the world of singles, which in America is almost 50% head of households. So you're right when you are quoting these huge numbers of millions and you know, tens, over a hundred million. So here we are in America and we've got churches in pretty much every town and we are not providing a, a, an alternative game plan for building a healthy relationship and choosing a life partner. But we are told right there in the scriptures, that is God's will to mm -hmm. offer this kind of a game plan. So I think this is a very poignant topic and it's one that um, really fits with what uh, the scriptures tell us to do. I love that verse. Thank you for sharing. And it's so powerful. I mean, you talked about what not to do first. And I love that. Don't be giving yourself away, ladies. You know, I, I tell you, you're a value, you're a vessel, like you had mentioned um, in scripture, that you are loved by God. And he has someone picked out for you. So don't settle. Don't move forward too fast. Make sure that you you keep your integrity and keep your faith intact as well. What's another don't do since we were talking about that? So if I go back to what I call the decoupling effect. So I sure said, you, you imagine marriage is coupled with um, sex, first of all, and that became decoupled. Well, it was only a matter of time. If we're if if now sex is normative and dating then why do we have two different apartments or two different residents? Why don't we just move in together? So cohabitation going into the 1970s increased dramatically 
initially as, hey, we need to figure out if we want to be together for marriage. But cohabitation today, now, you know, 40 years later, 50 years later, cohabitation is so much normative in the dating experience. We're having sex. If you look at those stages of dating by all the quote, you know, experts out there, they're going to tell you by a year, you better move in with the person because you got to live with them to figure everything out. I argue very strongly living with a person not only entraps you, it alters your judgment to figure out what they're really like. It's not the best way to figure things out because you, you, form, you form a bond and now you're living together almost like married people. So you're forming a much more intensified bond, overlapping all kinds of interdependencies, buying a dog together, spending your finances together, intertwining your life. All of that weaving together creates an interdependency that alters your judgment even more. And we have a ton of research that's already been published that really supports all of this, that living together is more entrapping than it is. You give up your autonomy. But um, partnering began separating when sex separated or decoupled. And then finally, having a baby. For, get this. This is just mind-blowing. Hmm. A little over 40%, just under 50% of all babies born, first births, in the United States are to unmarried women. Wow. 42%, 43, it depends on what year, but a little over 40%. That means that um, partnering and sex and now parenting have all decoupled from marriage, which has started to, you know, over these decades to diminish any of the value of marriage. Marriage became blamed for divorce you know, people get divorced and they're like, you know, I'm not getting married again because marriage led me to divorce. It wasn't marriage that led you to divorce. It was the breaking of what the real core promises of marriage are all about. To fully give yourself to another person, to really have that be mutual. Somebody wasn't following the true loving heart of commitment in marriage, and that's what led to the breakdown. So here we are, Shug. I'll tell you what, what has really happened from the 60s to the present is marriage became diminished, things became decoupled, and then ultimately the real aversion, the real enemy became commitment. It's exactly what Tina Turner said in 1984, who needs a heart? when a heart can be broken. Yeah. Um, what's love got to do with it, right? That was, that was her number one or only number one song, but it captured the whole trend of moving away from commitment. The, the difficulty everyone has, whether they are youth all the way up to um, those that are in the single world again, whether it's through divorce or widowhood, or they've just never been married in their 40s or their 50s, their 60s, the struggle they have is the whole current is an anti-commitment, um, a live here and now, uh, a diminishment of marriage, so a minimization of marriage. That's the whole kind of setting that they're trying to build a relationship with somebody and find somebody that has similar values to them.
I think it's a real, it's just a real kind of nightmare out there. So I, I wanted to start with a bit of compassion for those that are in that world. And um, what wrong looks like is dominant and it is being messaged all around them. And that that's kind of like the echo chamber that they're in. And they and they have to they have to have a game plan that is different than the trends of their culture. Woohoo! That was an awesome show, friends. And we're not even done yet. That was part one. We're going to do part two. It gets even hotter and more exciting on how to date in this crazy world. Stay tuned. Hey, friends, I hope you enjoyed the show. I can't believe you found us in the myriad of podcasts that are out there. Could you please do us a favor here at Women's Hot Topics with Sugbury? Could you please like, subscribe, write a review? Hopefully it's going to be a positive one. And we have got some great shows coming up. Why do you have to do this? Is because it lifts us up out of the myriad of podcasts to the top. And that's where God is. And that's where I want to be. This is Sugbury. You know I love you. Over and out.